This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. I'm the kind of person that likes the cookies on the bottom shelf, obviously. And maybe you're the same way. I really appreciate it if someone can take something very complicated and put it someplace where it's accessible for me. And I'm very thankful that through Scripture, the Holy Spirit of God does that. That the Holy Spirit of God will take things that's very complicated and very big. That's really beyond my finite mind, my finite thinking. And put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Especially when it comes to the idea of what sin is and the consequences of sin. What sin is and the consequences of sin. From the very beginning, four chapters into your book, the big book, the Bible, four chapters in, page four, God slows down with a man named Cain and says, hey, sin, it's a crouching monster outside the door. It wants to devour you. You must deal with this. Well, I can get that. That's cookies on the bottom shelf. So there's this thing called sin and it wants to devour me. It wants to destroy me. And I have to do something about this. If you move into the New Testament, there's a man named Paul, Apostle Paul. He'll use judicial terms to help me understand a little bit what Jesus has done for me, the weight of sin. He'll talk about judge and guilt. Sometimes he'll use financial terms from the financial world. He'll use words like redeem. Jesus has bought me, ransom. He's purchased me. From bondage. That helps. That helps. Because sin is something that you must grab a hold of. Consequence is something you must wrestle with. Another one of those ideas, another means by which the Spirit of God seeks to help us wrestle with the idea of sin is a cup. A cup. And the consequences of sin. Fill that cup. So why don't we drill down on that this morning. Take out a Bible. Uh, you can follow along in a Bible. There's located in the, in the seats in front of you if you'd like to do that. Or follow along up on the screen. Ron will bring some of the verses up. Your notes can be a helpful guide. A place to write verses down to look at later. Or maybe through the course of the message I say something that's confusing or you don't like. Happens a lot. Write that down and, and we can engage on that later if you'd like to. But you want to find the book Ezekiel. Ezekiel. I know I saw the eyebrows just go up. Okay. Uh, so if you go to the middle of the Bible, oftentimes you get to Isaiah. And keep going a little bit more to the right. You got Isaiah and Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. It's what we call one of the major prophets because of the size. If your Bible has a table of contents in the front, that might be helpful. Okay. But he's a prophet. He wrote to God's people when they were in a hot mess. And he seeks to help them understand what it is they're going through and why they're there. God's nation was at one time one people. 
And then they split, they divided, because that's what humans do. We screw things up. And the northern nation went by the name Israel. They had a capital city of Samaria. And despite prophet after prophet, warning and scribe, and people bringing messages to these, they continued to revolt and rebel and did their own thing until there was a a nation by the name of Assyria come down, conquered them, and led them into captivity. Well, that's what sin does. It'll conquer you and it'll take you into captivity. And another nation, the other part, Judah to the south, where Jerusalem was the capital, the same thing happened to them. So Ezekiel is writing to them, hoping that they would understand a little bit. And he uses a parable. A parable is a story that has a lesson attached to it. He tells the story of two sisters. Two sisters that at one time were captive in Egypt. But God had led them free. The two sisters, one mother, symbolizing Israel and Judah. And the older sister sought to do her own thing. She chased after idols. She chased after other men. Aligned herself with other parties. Other people. And despite warning after warning after warning of God's graciousness and kindness, that sister was taken away. And then he warns the younger sister. He says, hey, you're making the same mistakes that your older sister did. How many of you were firstborn? Firstborn, right? Hold it high. Here you go. Here you go. Right? We pave the way, right? That's what we do. We try to pave the way for those who will come after us. We do the best we can. We're that first pancake. Mom and dad try to do their best, but hey, it's the first pancake. It just never right, quite works out right. And sure enough, but do our siblings that after all of our blood, sweat, and tears, do our siblings say thank you? Do our siblings follow our wisdom? No, what do they do? They're like, here, watch what I can do. Yeah. Well, this is exactly what happened. Despite Israel doing what Israel did, and Israel being led into captivity, Judah did not learn the lesson. In fact, Judah repeated and then escalated and then did even worse. Into all of that, Ezekiel is hoping and praying to help people understand what sin is, what consequence is, and why it needs to be taken seriously. So you're going to be in Ezekiel 23 together. Ezekiel 23. And as I read through it, I'm just going to make some observations, some of the things you might want to remember and write down later to reflect on. Ezekiel 23, 28 through 35. 28 through 35. You follow along as I read. This is Ezekiel 23. If you're watching online, make sure that you have a Bible so that you can follow along too. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will deliver you into the hands of those whom you hate, into the hands of those whom you turned in disgust, and they shall deal with you in hatred and take away all the fruit of your labor and leave you naked and bare. The nakedness of your whoring shall be uncovered. Your lewdness and your whoring have brought this upon you because you played the whore with the nations and defiled yourselves with their idols. You've gone the way of your sister. Therefore, I will give her cup into your hand. 
Thus says the Lord God, you shall drink your sister's cup that is deep and large. You should be laughed at, held in derision, for it contains much. You'll be filled with drunkenness and sorrow. A cup of horror and desolation. A cup of your sister's, the cup of your sister Samaria. That's the capital of Israel. You shall drink it and drain it out and gnaw its shards and, your, and tear your breasts. For I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me, cast me behind your back. You yourself must bear the consequences of your lewdness and whoring. This passage wants to give us some insights. God wants to give us some insights into sin and its consequences. Here's something that I noticed in this passage. That sin is described as adultery towards God. Sin is described as adultery towards God. Maybe that's something to, to write down that'll help you. How interesting that even still today in the world, we're disgusted by adultery, aren't we? Understandably so. You find yourself a politician that cheated. You find yourself a celebrity that cheated. And man, the news will eat that up, won't they? And they should. There's a breaking of covenant. Uh, there's a mark of unfaithfulness. This is speaking to character. Now, we'll let everything else slide. But there does seem to be a general consensus that that's wrong. There was an understanding. There was a relationship. There was a promise. And when they did that, the relationship was shattered and broken. The prophet uses this language when he talks about this thing called sin. That when we commit a sin, when we go against God's prescription, God's design, it's like adultery in the eyes of God. It's you cheating on him. And so the Bible now drags us in front of the paparazzi. Drags us in front of the news cameras, in front of the film rolls, in front of the flashing cameras. It says to chase after greed, to put money in front of God's provision, that's cheating on him. To use our bodies in ways that God hasn't designed, that's cheating on him. That's unfaithfulness. To worship your job, that's cheating. To worship your sports team, that's, that's cheating. That we would look at a man or a woman who stepped out on his family while they were gathered around the dinner table to be with a lover and we would be disgusted by that, wouldn't we? That would disgust us, wouldn't we? His family knows it. Spouse knows it. Do we feel the same way when instead of coming to the table, we'll chase after our own hobbies? Do we feel the same way instead of prioritizing God's family, we'll go do something else? 
the prophet says, that's cheating. Sin is adultery against God. That we have adulterous hearts. I noticed something else in this passage. That what begins as a sinful desire will turn into disgust. And that disgust will eventually turn into destruction. It starts out as something you desire and you want and something that feels good and tastes good and, and it's, it's, it's awesome, but it will turn into disgust. And eventually that disgust will turn into destruction. In the beginning of the passage I read you in verse 28 and 29, let me see if I can connect those dots for you as we seek to understand sin. And its consequence. For thus says the Lord, this is 28. Behold, I will deliver you into the hands of those whom you hate. Into the hands of those whom you turned in disgust. And they will deal with you in hatred. And take away all the fruit of your labor. And leave you naked and bare. And the nakedness of your whoring shall be uncovered. It says to his people, hey, you're the one who wanted to go down that path. You wanted that experience. You wanted that relationship. You wanted to align yourself, in this case, with those foreign political parties. Instead of trusting me, you wanted to trust in them. And it isn't interesting that that quickly turned into disgust. And now that disgust has led you to destruction. Did you see how it said that God delivers them. He says, I will deliver you now. Some of us might struggle with that. Because God is love, right? Why would God do that to me? God's loving, right? We'll talk about that in a little bit. I love that idea. Take that idea, put it in a can, let's put it on the shelf. We're going to open that up in a little bit, okay? That idea to deliver means to allow something to occur. He's going to allow it. the spouse wants to go out the door, God says, okay. If you want to step out of the sphere of my provision and my protection and my care, all right. You will encounter what's on the outside. You will encounter. If you want to align yourself with that person, with that nation, okay. You do you. That was really good. I thought she didn't. She weaved it really well. That was awesome. She's fast. When you got to go, you got to go. This is similar to, uh, to a parallel to what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. This is another passage maybe you want to meditate on. In Romans chapter 1, 22 through 26. Romans 1, 22 through 26. Claiming to be wise. This is in your New Testament. Romans 1. Verse 22. I'll give you one more, a little bit more time. Romans chapter 1, 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. 
They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. This is verse 24. Okay, so they, instead of worshiping God, they gave themselves over to worshiping things. Therefore, verse 24, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Hear that phrase? God gave them up. God allowed. God delivered. You want to go down that path? You go down that path. You want to choose that? You choose that. He says, they will deal with you. So in God's economy of grace, he lets our choices legislate the judgment of that choice. All right, Israel. All right, Judah. You want to align with those political parties? You want to become subservient to them? You will experience and they will bring judgment upon you. You'll know what it means to walk in relationship with a God that is not caring and kind and loving and gracious. You want that? You got it. You made your bed. You sleep in it. In this case, he's talking about political alignments and not trusting in God. But this makes sense to us, right? I mean, we don't. If you want to drive around drunk, all right. All right. You get to receive the consequences of that decision, and those consequences become your judgment. They become your judge. You made that choice. Now, maybe in God's graciousness, something so stupid and foolish. Maybe initially it just manifests itself as you know, being pulled over and the fines, the incarcerations. Maybe it starts there. That would be God's graciousness. But maybe when you make that choice, it doesn't manifest itself that way. Maybe it also is now an accident. And you need to walk in the judgment of that situation. Or perhaps because of your choice, because of your sin, it costs someone their life. God says, your sin will deal with you. Your choices will deal with you. This isn't God throwing lightning bolts. This is you choosing to walk in destruction. This is not God hating you. Maybe it's sexual immorality. Christianity has a very, very high sexual ethic. It's a very high sexual ethic. We have very clear lines that reflect God's intention. 
So when it comes to sexual immorality, we're, we're talking about fornication. That would be sex between people that, that, where there is no marriage involved, okay? Or adultery, sex with someone that's not your spouse, okay? And you can go down the path. You can do that. You are free to do that. Absolutely. You can choose that sin. You cannot choose the consequences. And so maybe that manifests itself as a disease or an unplanned pregnancy or an abusive relationship. He says, they will deal with you. They will deal with you. This is similar to what James says in James 1. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And those desires, when conceived, give birth to sin. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Another observation from the passage. Our sinful choices fill a cup of consequence. Our sinful choices fill a cup of consequence. It says this in verse 30, and then uh, it's similar in verse 35. Let me read it for you. Ezekiel 23, verse 30. Your lewdness has brought this upon you because you played the whore with the nations and defiled yourself with their idols. Verse 35. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, you yourself must bear the consequences of your lewdness and your whoring. You have chosen, you have chosen this path and that path fills up a cup. Now, what is the overflow of that cup? The passage will go on and tell us. He describes in verses 33 and 34 the types of things that flow out of this cup that you must now drink from, that I must drink from when I choose that path. This is one of the things that you'll experience is that the world will mock you. It will mock you. I think this is sad. This is sad. We as followers of Jesus Christ are to emanate the light of his glory, shine with his love and his gentleness. This is the banner that we carry. This is the name that we hold out. But when I choose a sinful path, the world ends up mocking me and mocking the gospel and mocking my Jesus. Oh, marriage is no different with Christians than with the rest of the world. Oh, their sexual ethic is as bad as ours. Oh, he's just drunk, just like everybody else is. We become a mockery in the eyes of the world. For saying Jesus is so serious, they sure don't take it very seriously on the weekends. Yeah. He says, it is mocking. You'll be laughed at and held in derision. Filled with drunkenness and sorrow. Drunkenness there is the idea of crippling. You'll be crippled. Oh, how we make light of drunkenness, don't we? It's kind of like, God, I was so hammered last night. 
Oh, just a little tipsy, that's all. Just a little buzz, just having some fun, that's all. Just having fun. And yet, this is the image that God will use to help us understand what sin will do to us. That you get so out of control that you are helpless in the presence of danger. That's what that word drunkenness means. You're helpless. Like completely inebriated, trying to walk across a a four-lane highway and hope trying to make it to the other side. This is the consequence that flows out of that cup. Sorrowful means grief, grief stricken. Some of you know that feeling. You know what it means to grieve. The wailing that doesn't stop. He describes it as horrific, as isolating. A cup of horror and desolation. Desolation means to be isolated. Desolation is the wilderness, the desert. You're alone. The overflow of that cup and your choice, the consequences is you will be alone. I will be alone as the world pulls back from us. As our church family, rightly so, will pull back from you. Did you know that? A healthy body is self-regulating, right? Did you know that? A healthy body is self-regulating. If it finds disease and corruption, it's supposed to deal with it. And there are times when we see this modeled in scripture. Hey, if you're not going to deal with this area of your life, I'm sorry. I love you. I'll pray for you. But no, we're not getting together. He closes by saying, You shall drink it and drain it and gnaw its shards and you'll tear your breasts. Like you have to, you you have to consume the, the pottery, the glass. It's like glass going down your throat and from the inside out, it destroys you. So you're tearing at your chest. You're being destroyed inside out. I remember one time, I bumped into a follower of Jesus who I was, I hadn't seen in a couple years. Um, The time I saw him before this, he came up to me and said that he was leaving his wife and he was chasing after someone else because God wanted him to be happy. Okay. Okay. And I hadn't seen him for a couple years. And the next time I saw him, I almost didn't recognize him. The weight he had lost and not in a good way. His complexion had paled. That eyes had gotten sunken. I almost didn't recognize him at all. He didn't look happy. He didn't look happy. But these are the consequences of the cup. You can choose the sin. That's fine. But you cannot choose the consequences. And this is incredibly consistent. You go from prophet to prophet to prophet, from Old Testament to New Testament. They talk about the cup. Can I read some of them for you? Just listen. I'm going to give you five other prophets. I think one's plenty, right? Here's five more. Here's five more. Just you. Pastor Paul's just not making it up. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 51. Wake yourselves. Wake yourselves. Stand up. Oh, Jerusalem. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. Jeremiah 13 Then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, behold, I will fill with drunkenness all the inhabitants of this land. Habakkuk, another prophet. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. 
Drink yourselves and show yourself uncircumcised, the cup in the Lord's right hand. Zechariah, behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup for staggering. The psalmist says this, for in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it. And all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. This is true on an individual level. This is true on a national level. This is true on a universal level. Speaking of all humanity. Okay, you need to understand you have a cup. You as an individual have a cup. How full it is, I do not know. I do not know. Think about the passage I read to you in Romans. Individuals taking upon themselves, choosing adultery, over faithfulness before God, you're filling up a cup. It's true on an individual level. It's true on a national level, okay? This is, this is, the passage that I'm talking about is God speaking to a nation, an entire people group. He's talking to Judah, okay? You as a, as a nation are filling a cup and at some point it will overflow. Do you remember what happened to Israel? Do you remember? They had a cup and it filled up and they didn't listen and they are now drinking the consequence of that cup. These are nations. In Genesis 15, if you're doing our reading uh, together as a church family, you read in Genesis 15, God's promise to Abraham. And he says to Abraham that in four generations, your people will come back to the land that I will give them, the land of the Canaanites. But not yet, because the sin of the Canaanites, the Ammonites, has not yet risen. What does that mean? Okay. God says, well, I'm giving them time to do the right thing. But I know ultimately they're going to have to receive judgment. They're going to have to walk in the consequences of their sinfulness. Jonah. How I many like that story, right? I mean, come on. VBS Flannel Graph 101. It does not get more fun. VeggieTales got me. Love me some Jonah. Right? Good stuff. Jonah. Love me some Jonah. The whole reason Jonah gets sent on the trip that he's on is because God wants to redeem and save a people that Jonah doesn't like. Because they're not nice to him. And historically haven't been nice to his people. He says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. I don't want to go to Nineveh. There are mean faces there. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach repentance. So he goes on the run, fish, story. You get that part. Eventually he goes to Nineveh and he preaches repentance and he preaches God's coming judgment that the cup is filling up. And the whole city, massive metropolis of a city, falls on its knees, humbles itself, seeks repentance before God. And they do not walk in the consequences of that cup. The United States has a cup. The United States has a cup. We are filling it up. Oh, no, 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 I forgot. God likes us best. Right? God's guns and glory. Right? Surely we are God's chosen people. And surely God will not, would not do that to us. Right? Right? Surely not. I mean, why would God be incredibly consistent with what he has done with every people group from the age of their ever being people groups. 
No, no, no. God will treat us differently. Why would there be a cup? And why would it be filling up? Until such a time when another nation, God will say, I will let them deal with you. And it works on a national level, but it also works on a universal level, meaning all of humanity. All of humanity is filling a cup. This is what the writer, uh, the author of the book of the Revelation, um, the author John says in John 14. I love the Revelation. It's probably one of my favorite books. Rose skips it whenever she gets to it in the Bible. I know, she's told me. Some of you just skip it like, dude, this is weird. It's confusing. I, I don't, I, yeah, it, it's, I love teaching through it. A lot of us dealing with a lot of baggage from how we were taught it growing up. I can understand why you want it. But the book of the Revelation is designed as a wonderful pair of glasses, goggles, if you will, to help you focus and understand what's going on in the world around you. It puts things in focus. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with the Roman Empire, if you're dealing with the Spanish Inquisition, if you're dealing with uh, the English Empire, if you're dealing with the American Empire. You put the book of Revelation on correctly and you focus it correctly and you can see what's going on and you can see what has happened, what is happening and what will happen. It's a beautiful gift, beautiful gift to the church family. But in that, in the middle of the book, Revelation 14, okay? Got to catch up in my notes. Revelation 14, listen how he talks about what's facing humanity corporately, okay? Revelation 14, 6 through 11. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim. Gospel, good news. Here's a message. Here's good news for those who dwell on earth, those who need hope, Okay? To every nation and tribe and language and people. Here's a message for everybody. He said this, verse 7, Revelation 14. Fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And then another angel, a second, following, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead, on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, pulled full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Humanity will drink a cup. Paul, let love win. Paul, let love win. God is loving. God would not do that. He said... Because you have forgotten me. Because you turned your back on me. You must bear the consequences of your sin. So, so, so I ask you, isn't it loving to give people time? 
Is it not a loving thing for God to give you time to respond? He says the cup is deep. The cup is large. I mean, this isn't a one and done. There is compassion and there is space for repentance. God gives you time to hear the message, to say, whoa. Isn't that loving? Is that not a loving thing to give you time to to give you examples, to, to, to learn from others. I mean, how many of you ever watched someone screw up their life? Yeah. How many of you have screwed up your life? Yeah. Yeah. And God gives us time. I ask, is, is, isn't that loving? Isn't it, isn't it loving to give people warning? I mean, the, the labels are clear. God ain't covering up the labels. He's not hiding the labels. I mean, shame and judgment on the churches that are changing the labels. But isn't it loving to give warning? Don't drink that. Don't drink that. Don't drink that. Isn't it loving to give warning? Isn't it loving to protect others? Isn't it loving to protect others? How so? Well, it might be, feel like judgment to you, but it might be an answer to prayer for your spouse. Please don't let him hit me anymore. Please don't let her do that again. Sure, for you, it might feel like the wrath of God poured down on your sorry head but it might be the reflection of God's love to somebody else who's in your circle, who's tired of swimming in your poison. Isn't that loving? Isn't it loving? Isn't it loving to offer another cup? Isn't that loving? That if you don't want to, drink from that one. He freely says, then you may drink from mine. This is what's buried, unfortunately, in that beautiful moment. And before Jesus was to be crucified and he goes into the garden, he goes away by himself to pray and he falls upon his knees. Father, if you can take this cup away from me. But not my will, but your will. That's the cup that he's talking about. He's talking about the full recompense of humanity's judgment and disobedience and wrath. The whole thing filled up and overflowing. All the treachery and all the immorality and all the disgust and all the adultery and all the abandonment that we are so capable of doing. Everything that is filled up and overflowing to the brim. He says, I'll drink that cup. And what were the consequences? He was mocked. He was isolated and alone. He was grieving. He was wailing. 
was tortured. He was killed. Because that's what this cup does. But to those who will follow him, what does he say? What does he say? Take this bread. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take this cup and drink. My blood, my life, a new promise, a new covenant, a new relationship. Drink from mine. I need to go drink yours. For God so loved the world that he gave. What do you do with this? How do you process this? How do you handle this? Ready? Everyone breathe in. Everyone breathe out. Which cup? Which cup? Which cup do you want to drink from? Which cup were you set to drink from? If it's not this cup, it will be this cup. I don't know how close to the rim you are. I don't know when it will overflow. I don't know when your choices will destroy you. Okay. Wrestle. You must wrestle with. Which cup is it going to be? Which cup is it? To those who um, make a habit of drunkenness, please stop. It's wrong. You're making us look like idiots. Okay? Stop it. Stop. Why you want to embody the very thing that the Bible puts forth as destruction, I do not know. Please stop. If you know someone who's making these choices, slap them. I will. You're making the gospel a mockery. Choose repentance. Choose a turning. I don't want that path. Jesus, I want to come to you. Then we proclaim with our lips that Jesus is Lord and there is forgiveness. Absolutely. We look to the cross and we receive forgiveness. It's a beautiful thing. We're going to sing in a little bit about how wonderful, how great the Father's love is for us. How vast beyond all measure that he would make a wretch like me into a treasure. Which cup? Which cup? Turn to Christ. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we know that through Christ's sacrifice, his resurrection, that we are preserved from the wrath to come, the final wrath. But please, you know that there's still consequences for being dumb, right? Can we still walk in holiness and wisdom? Let's make good choices. Let's walk in good choices. Let's give the world an example of where light and hope is. Let's shine bright. Let's shine bright. Give them no reason to mock. Apart from our love and our adoration of Jesus. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today, 
and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can. Again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions.